Good morning, everyone. Hey, can we say thanks to our worship team that leads us every week? Unbelievable excellence. Any of you who have traveled and been around the world, I, I, I've gone all over the world and seen the body of Christ in, in countless countries. I think I've been to 36 countries. It's not like this everywhere you go. So we have an embarrassment of riches here. These people are leading us every week with excellence. Thank God. Yes. Okay. Two quick announcements before we get started. Uh, this coming Tuesday night at 6.30 in the theater, we are having a women's prophetic night of ministry, worship and prayer and sitting around tables together, but then opening up the room to say, come Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And so it's going to be a great time, uh, women's prophetic night, Tuesday, 6.30 in the theater. Join us. And then the next night, Wednesday at 6.30 right here, we have First Wednesday. So that'll be an hour of worship and prayer intercession. The whole church will be here. So just come on and join us. Mark your calendars this week for a great time in God's presence. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter six. And we are in a series, I think this is week seven of our series going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, these are red letters, AKA Jesus is speaking. He's introducing us to life in the kingdom so what I'll do is I'll read Matthew chapter six, verses one through six, and then I'll pray and we'll jump in here. The word of the Lord. Jesus says, be careful. Warning, heads up. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. And then your heavenly father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Lord, We've been saying it all morning, we need you. We did not come here to be entertained. We did not come here because we're bored. We did not come here because this is some sort of Christian social club to make ourselves feel better. We came because you speak. And when you speak, everything changes. The psalmist said, the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And so Lord, let everything that's lifted up in our lives today, that's obstructing us, Lord, we pray that it would melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Let your voice thunder here. Let your voice change us. Let your voice make us new. Let your voice tenderize us today. Make us a holy people through the power of your word. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. 20 years ago, my mother came home. I was 20 years old. I was a, a sophomore in college. And my little sister, Anna Joy, she's five years younger. She was 14, almost 15. And my mom came home from Anna's volleyball game. And she had a look in her eyes. 
I'm standing right in the hallway inside our front door. She comes in, she shuts the door and stands like this in front of the door so as to bar me from moving. And she says, have you seen Anna Joy's new volleyball coach? And I said, yes, I have. She said her name's Lisa Wakely. And I said, yes, I know. And she said, she just moved here two months ago. You better snatch her up right now because she's gonna be gone in a minute. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I didn't miss a volleyball game. I didn't miss a volleyball practice. I just was, I, I was my little sister's biggest fan. Why? To see Lisa Carol Wakely, who became Lisa Carol Wakely Grothy. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Thank God. 20 years ago, I remember what it was like to see, yes, Lord, right? And that I went up to her after the first game that I was there and I said, hi, I'm Daniel. I'm Anna's older brother. And and uh, do you have a phone number? Is that something you do? Do you have a phone number or email address or something? It was AOL.com. Any of you remember those days? Like we couldn't text back then. We had to call each other and talk, right? So I called Lisa that first Thursday night. I'll never forget it. Two hours on the phone. And we were going to get married the next day. I just knew it. Like it was over. First conversation, it's over. We're getting married. The next day, it was a Friday and I was playing a gig at Nordagio's, John, a little jazz trio in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I called Lisa on Friday at 6 p.m. And I said, hey, it was great chatting last night. I'm playing a gig tonight at nine. Would you please come? And she said, no. I thought, well, at least fake it. Like warm me up just a little bit, you know? And I said, oh, do you have plans tonight? She goes, yes, I'm in my jammies. I have plans not to leave the house. And I was like, wow, okay, great. Had a two hour conversation tonight. You're in your jammies. You won't. So have you ever had someone, it feels like you're getting mixed signals. Thursday night convo turns into Friday night. No, I'm good. I'm in my jammies. Like in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 1, it feels like Jesus is sending us a mixed signal. Feels like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because right here he says, be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. He says, shut it down. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. But if you've been tracking with the Sermon on the Mount, just a couple weeks ago, we stood up here on this stage and we read you Matthew chapter five, verse 16, where Jesus says, in the same way, let your light so shine before all people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your father who is in heaven. Jesus, what gives here? Go away into the prayer room. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you fast, don't tell anyone let your light so shine before all people that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. It feels like today Jesus is talking out of both sides of his mouth. Which one is it, Jesus? There's some tension here, but before we get started, the first thing I want to say is what Jesus is not trying to do. Here's what Jesus is not trying to do. We can be sure that Jesus doesn't want a church that goes into hiding. A lot of times people think that Christians ought to be just real precious and just kind of tuck away over here in the back corner and, and the kingdoms of this world are doing their thing and we're just waiting for heaven. And so we've just got to circle the wagons and sort of mail it in. And in the end, God will make all things new, but we just kind of have to bide our time. That's not what Jesus is saying. Early January, maybe you were watching the Monday night football game where DeMar Hamlin with the Buffalo Bills was hit. 
on that routine play. Any of you watched that night? And he falls back like, like he had done thousands of times in practices. And he stands up with the adrenaline that was in his body. And then all of a sudden he collapses to the ground. And in the next nine minutes, they're shocking him back to life twice. We were having a family Christmas dinner that night because all the family had come in. 25 of us are in my parents' living room. And you could hear a pin drop. We were all shocked, just like you were shocked. And I got out my phone and I tweeted, because they, they, they sent it to the studio, and, and I understand no one really knew what to do, but they were kind of hemming and hawing. They kept talking about thoughts and prayers and just thoughts and prayers and our condolences. And, all. and I, so I got out my phone and I tweeted to ESPN. I said, hey, ESPN, nobody in America, even the staunchest atheist right now, nobody in America would be mad if someone actually prayed. Like, go ahead, it's fine. Like, ask Booger McFarland, he's a Christian. Anyway, Dan Orlovsky, someone, just have someone pray. No one would be mad. And my, about 700,000 people interacted with that tweet and started hitting me back, and it started a conversation. Professional athletes were retweeting it. And, and hundreds of people said to me, you are so stupid. Don't you know Jesus said you can't pray in public and shut it down and you should read the Bible? And I was like, look at my bio. Like, I read the Bible. That's what I do. Like, there's a lot of things I don't do, but I do read the Bible. And I think Jesus would be okay if we had a little prayer moment here. But what I discovered in that moment is that lots of people think, they take Matthew 6-1 to say that Jesus wants to run away and to retreat and don't say anything and don't engage with the world. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not want a church that goes into hiding. You look at Acts chapter two through Acts chapter four, when the spirit is poured out, what happens is people pivot back and forth from the prayer room to the public square. They're, they're, they're in the upper room praying and the Holy Spirit comes in like the rushing of mighty wind. And what happens is they're filled with the spirit and they speak in tongues and they go out into the streets and people are being healed and people are being delivered and set free. Jesus is not looking for a church that goes into hiding. In fact, most of Jesus's ministry is done in public casting out demons and raising the dead and healing the sick and opening blind eyes and preaching on and praying out in the streets. Jesus is not asking for a church to retreat. In fact, in Matthew chapter six, next week, we're gonna look at prayer. And Jesus, when he teaches them how to pray, he says, here's how you pray, our Father. It's a corporate prayer. It's not some, my Father, I'm hiding in the prayer room all by myself, never to engage with the world. Jesus says, if you want to pray, go out into the streets and pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth. Jesus wants a church that's engaged with the world. Can you say amen today? The life of faith always pivots from private devotion to public demonstration. Private devotion to public demonstration tucking away and praying and then getting up and on Monday morning and going and leading your business in the name of Jesus and, and changing the industry and influencing culture and raising people up and hiring people. Jesus wants a church that's engaged with the world. So what is Jesus cautioning us against in this text? If Jesus says, be careful, what's he concerned about? What's he cautioning us about? Jesus is cautioning us against using spiritual practices as public performances to make our names great. Jesus wants a church engaged with the world. What he doesn't want is a church that manipulates and uses spiritual practices as a lever to build our own brand, to make our own names great, to make ourselves look wonderful. Jesus wants us to become a part of the light that, that, that dispels the darkness, but he doesn't want the spotlight to be shown on us. 
Jesus is cautioning us against using these things. Good spiritual practices become bad when you do them for the wrong reasons. The tension lies in the motivation here. Why are you praying? Why are you fasting? Why are you giving? Are you giving just because this is what believers do? Are you giving just because this is who God is? Or are you giving to sort of broker a deal? You know, if you ever see the Daniel Grothy Fellowship Hall around here at New Life Church, you can be sure that I'm rolling over in my grave. Hey, Pastor Brady, I'd like to make a donation. I just have two requests. The Daniel Grothy Fellowship Hall and the front, and front seat right here with a name plate on it that says Daniel Wilson Grothy. It's, it's a simple ask. I just want to give to the Lord. And honor. No, you're doing this for you, Daniel. You're doing this for you. Jesus says be careful that you don't practice your religion to draw other people's attention. Verse 2, look what he says in verse 2 of Matthew 6. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners. To be, I mean, think about this. Daniel Grothy's here, and oh, praise God, he's tenderized my heart toward the poor. And, and I, I've, I've heard about some folks who live on the wrong side of the tracks, and, and I was raised in a you know, good Christian home, and I, I've set aside my resources so that I can be, and I just, I just want to be God's gift to this community. I am gonna really just make a dent for the kingdom of God. Don't be like the hypocrites who blow the trumpet and say, I'm going to do something great now. Jesus says, Give in secret, pray in secret, fast in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. During COVID, we saw something sweeping across our nation in small pockets, and I'm not chippy here, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, but I think there were people who realized during this moment, during the shutdown, that you could make a great name for yourself by going from city to city and standing on the, 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 the just standing on the state capitol steps and making it like, we can borrow Jesus to build a brand for ourselves. And Jesus says, I will have none of that. Seek the Lord in secret, honor the Lord, do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. The practice of holy secrecy is when we give God permission to quietly borrow our strength for the good of others. We quietly borrow our strength for the good of others. There's a lady here in our church. I think she's 51, 52, and she and her husband have owned a business and they've worked hard for about 30 years and done really well. God's cooperated with them. They've busted their tails and God has blessed it. And at 50 years old, they were able to retire and, and, and just, ha- they got this time. And she started praying. She said, I felt like the Holy Spirit ushered me into a season of prayer to seek the Lord about what I should be doing in this new season of my life. Because there's only so much golf you can play. There's only so many cruises you can go on. And she said, I didn't want to turn insular and and just circle the wagons. I'm 50 years old. I've got 35, 40 years in front of me, Lord willing, and I want to make a dent. And so she fasted and she prayed. She didn't tell anyone about it except her husband. And the Lord said to her in that season of seeking the Lord, He said, what do you have in your hand? What are you good at? What do you love? And she said, I said to the Lord, math. I would never have said that to the Lord. (laughs) I can think of a lot of other things to say in that. What what do you love? Math. She said, I love math. I'm good at math. From the time I was a little girl, I thought in numbers and formulas, and I just, I'm good at math. And the Lord said, well, go ahead and do your homework and see who needs what you have. 
She started calling around to schools on the southeastern side of our city, schools that the city had sort of moved on from as development had come up north and west. These schools were under-resourced and they didn't have many. And many of these students were going home to apartment complexes at the end of their day and the apartments were empty because they had one parent or maybe two parents who were out working their second hourly jobs just to make ends meet. And so these kids would get home at four o'clock by themselves and have the next four hours to work and they're trying to do their math homework and this school, their, their, their math scores had plummeted. And you know what happens with kids when, when scores plummet? Typically, their ego does, their, their, their self-respect does, their, their ability to believe in themselves, it plummets with the scores. And she found this school and she talked to the principal and she said, I'm really good at math and my heart, I would love to do anything I can. And he said, I'll give you every Tuesday from 2.30 to 4.30. And every Tuesday for the last few years from 2.30 to 4.30, this woman of God drives down to the southeastern corridor of our city and she comes into the classroom. She's got games and she's got gifts for the kids and little baggies that she spent her money on. This is all her. The school isn't resourcing it. They just said, we'll let you come in. And she's giving them coloring books and she's teaching them how to have fun with math and they're playing games and she's celebrating them. Oh, you got a 92 on your last math. Everyone, let's give it up for Johnny. And the classroom erupts. She's taking those kids home in her heart and she's praying for them in her secret prayer closet. Lord, take care of Johnny and take care of Rita and Lord, take care of... She has been taken over with her heart to serve these kids. And you know what's happened in the last three years? Math scores have risen at this school. And with it, these kids, their confidence, and they're crushing it, and they're coming, and they're celebrating. And this lady's grabbing them. They're 10 years old, 11 years old, hugging them like an extended auntie in the faith. And she's saying, I'm so proud. Friends, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? And will you give it over to the Lord? The righteous are those who give themselves over to a holy secrecy and you say, God, all of my gifts are on the table and all of my life is on the table and all of my resources are on the table, whether it's skills or whether it's money, whatever it is, God, I say yes to you. You just show me who to serve. The psalmist tells us about the wicked. And all throughout scripture, actually, there's this theme that the wicked conspire to do evil. Look at Psalm 36, verse four. The wicked man plans wickedness upon his bed. He's going to bed, and, and another translation says he can't go to sleep until he's devised evil schemes. He plans wickedness upon his bed, and he sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. Micah Chapter two, verse one says, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds and at morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. The psalmist and the prophet Micah want us to imagine the wicked as those who spend all of their best energy plotting to do evil. But I, I wanna challenge your imagination today about this word secret. Because when we hear of secrecy, we typically immediately go to this negative connotation. Oh, someone's running around over here doing something evil. Someone who's trapped in a habitual sin. Someone who doesn't want anyone to know because their life is dark. No, I wanna challenge your imagination about secrecy because secrets can be beautiful too. 
The righteous are those who conspire to do good. The righteous are those who lay on their beds at night and they plot good that they're gonna get up in the morning and execute. The righteous are those who put all their chips on the table and say, my life is not my own. The invitation of Jesus today in this text is to spend your life secretly praying and secretly planning to serve everyone that God sends your way. Secretly planning, secretly praying, to give your life. A private life with God will always fuel a rich public life of service. You read church history, and do you know who started hospitals? Christians like you. They went to the prayer room, and they fell on their knees in secret. God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? God, would you tenderize me? Would you make me holy? Would you make me pure? And they read John 13 and they see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and then standing up saying, go and do likewise. You know how hospitals got founded? They got founded in the prayer closet and they rose from their private place of devotion and they went out into the public square to change the world. You know how orphanages were started? The same way. During the black plague that swept the world, People in in this time, they were very superstitious with their religion and they took their babies and they chucked them out in the streets because they assumed that their babies were carriers of the black plague. And so we've got to jettison this child, get rid of it to protect the household. You know who went through the streets? Christians. Picking up babies, going, look, God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. This is who God is in his holy place. And he sets the lonely into families. And so they ran around and they founded hospitals and they founded orphanages. You know who started schools and Christian universities? Christians. Why? Because God has called us to leave the private place of prayer and to go out into the public square to change the story. Friends, today, I'm inviting you into building a beautiful secret life with God. What does Jesus say he'll do? Because this is hard work. I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mince words here. It's difficult to, we love recognition. We're, We're humans made for affirmation. So when Jesus says, don't do it to be seen by others, that, that costs us something. So I'm saying it's hard work, but here's the promise that Jesus gives to us as we, as we press into a life of holy secrecy. Luke Chapter 12, verses two and three says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There is nothing hidden that will not be made known. And what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops for all to hear. Now we can take this text and we can celebrate in two ways because corruption will be rooted out by Jesus Christ the Lord. The poor who are paying the highest price, people who've been on the brink, people who are living under tyrannical leadership in nations all over the globe, the iron fist of the regime that's crushing the people. We can rejoice in Luke chapter two because Jesus says one day all of that will be broken off and what has been whispered will be shouted from the rooftops and God, everything that's been concealed will be disclosed. We can rejoice that 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 domination will end one day. Amen, church. But it's not, it's not just that. We can also rejoice because people who live a life of tucking themselves away in the place of prayer, 
People who spend 90% of their words in secret and the, the public hears 10% of their words out there. People who commit their lives to the Lord like this. Jesus says, what has been whispered in the back room will be shouted from the rooftops for all to hear. Bad secrets will be addressed by Jesus and good secrets will be made known by Jesus. My great grandmother Smith, Margaret Turley Smith, she married a Greek immigrant. Some of you have heard me say his name. My great-grandfather was Hieronymus Athanasius Asmacopoulos. Just a good name. You just ought to say it anytime you can. Hieronymus Athanasius Asmacopoulos. He came over from Greece when he was 12, landed at Ellis Island at 13 all by himself. Started working the railroads as a little boy, learning English. He went through West Virginia and met Margaret Turley, this 17-year-old woman. And he was an 18-year-old man. And they got married and they got on the railroads and went out to Idaho. And they got to Idaho and they bought 2,000 acres in the early 1900s. Unbelievable, right on the Snake River. Hard-working farmers. And, and Margaret Turley, great-grandma Smith, was a farmer's wife that busted her tail. And she had six children and kept the family going. Hieronymus, her husband, came home one day. He was 66. He was working out in the hay fields, and he came home, and he put his pitchfork in the ground, and he had a heart attack, and he fell back on his back, and he died right in front of everyone. Grandma Smith came out with the children. She got down next to her husband, who's dead, six kids. She put her hand on him, and she prayed, and she thanked God for a good life with her man. She rose from that place and she lived in that little house in the canyon by herself for the next 26 years. She never drove a car, not one day in her life. My mom, were you 14, 13, 14 years old, lived up the hill, would come down every day to see Grandma Smith. And Grandma Smith sat in this little red chair in the corner of her bedroom with a lamp next to it and she had her Bible on the lampstand and she'd sit in that red chair for hours a day, never drove in her life, never had a television, never had a refrigerator. She lived a simple life off the land. And for 26 years, you know what she did for hours every day? She prayed. And she quoted the scriptures out loud and she said, Lord, you've given me these six kids and these six kids are going to rise up and get married and they're going to have kids of their own who are going to have kids of their own. And I pray for a righteous seed to rise up in the earth. I pray that this family would be strong for the kingdom of God. I pray that you would keep them from evil. I pray that you would help them to love the Holy Spirit. I pray that they would serve you all the days, 26 years in a little bitty house down in the canyon by herself. And all of us in her family, I never got to meet the lady. All of us in her family are recipients of those prayers. All of us in her family are carrying what she prayed into existence. All of us in her family can say thank God for Margaret Turley Smith and for 26 years of, uh, no one ever knew, no one ever wrote an article, no one ever visited except her, her little grandchildren and her kids. But friends, today I want you to know that a life lived in secret before God given to him will bear fruit into the generations to come. It will bear fruit. I had the sense as I was praying for this, this day together, is that many of you would be on the brink and you'd be ready to quit. It's hard work. How many hundreds of times did Grandma Smith want to quit? 
I'm not romanticizing this kind of life. It's absolutely hard work. But what I am saying is that it's worth it to keep going. Paul says to the Galatians at the end of his letter, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. I sense the Lord say to say to you today, don't quit now. Don't quit now. Keep praying. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pressing in. Keep giving him the occasional lunch hour where you fast and you come to the World Prayer Center and you say, Lord, my life is yours. And keep asking him, Lord, what have you given me to serve? And then give him what's in your hand. If you will press into a beautiful life of holy secrets, don't look now, but the fruit will come. I want to show you a picture. I saw this picture this week and I thought, there it is. I want you to see this picture. This is northern Minnesota at the Boundary Waters right below Canada. Negative 50 degrees. Do you see that eagle at the top? That's an eagle, a male eagle in the nest with its head sticking out of the snow. Negative 50 degrees. Where I circled it yellow and black, that's the mom eagle. You see that little hole there? That's where her, her, her beak is poking out. She can just get enough air. The mom is down below, and you know the dad's sitting up at the top going, I'm about to get a cold, honey. I'm about to get a cold. I think I've got the man sniffles. <laughs> There's an eagle cam that they put up because that eagle, those eagles have been there for now two weeks. They haven't left the nest. They haven't gone to eat. They haven't, why? Because it's negative 50 degrees and if they get up from, there's two eggs in there, two little eaglets that are ready to hatch. If they get up, the eaglets die. And I think this is the embodiment of Galatians 6 verse 9. Do not grow weary in doing good for in the end you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. You know that mom and dad are going, we'll reap a harvest if we don't quit. They haven't eaten in two weeks. It doesn't matter. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. We can keep going, honey. Let's go. Press in. We've got this. It, we're just right on the verge. I, I, I can feel the babies moving. It's going to work. It's going to work. We will reap a harvest if we do not faint. Some of you have been stuck in that nest for what feels like forever, and you're tempted to get up, and you're tempted to walk away right now. And if you do, the life that God has been building in you will be aborted. Stay. Stay, tuck away, trust God. Some of you are praying for kids. You thought you sent them off to college. They were solid, they were gonna make it, aren't they? And you've watched in the last couple years the, the slow drift, they've wandered. The enemy wants you to get up off of that nest and I say stay in the place of prayer. In the end, you will reap a harvest. If you do not faint, some of you are wrestling with mental health battles and you just want to throw in the towel. You want to quit. And I say to you, stay. You can do this. The storm's going to pass. It's going to thaw out soon. There's going to be life to show for it. Please don't quit. Friends, today, the invitation is to build a beautiful secret life with God. The promise is that as you do it, it will bear much fruit. A woman that I never got to meet prayed our family into existence. 
And who knows, but that your faithfulness, you deciding to stay, a people not yet born will praise the Lord because of it. You will raise up a righteous seed. You will, you will make a dent. You will go from the private place of prayer and you will impact the public square. It don't look now, but it's happening. But the enemy wants you to quit. And today in the name of Jesus, we're gonna have the strength to stay. Can you say amen? Stand with me today, church. I've given us a little time here. I want us to have a little mini prayer meeting. I want you to take your concerns into the presence of God. I want you to hover over this thing that's about ready to have birth in you. I want you to pray into this right now. So this is a little three, four, five minute prayer meeting and I'm gonna ask you not to be spectators. I'm just gonna say no spectators in this room. You know the burden you're carrying. You know the relationships that are on the brink. You know the health crisis that your friend's in. You know the business that you're praying through this recession. Can we close our eyes right now and just begin to speak the life of God over it? Would you quiet your hearts? Close your eyes and, and turn into a little prayer warrior here right now. I want you to call some names out to the Lord. Name some folks that you know need this intercession right now. I want you to name some situations that you know are fragile right now and speak life into them. You, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have the authority to change the situation with your prayers. So let's do it right now, church. Lord, we pray for life. We pray for healing. We pray for clarity. We pray for the children that have wandered off from the faith and right now we call them home. Come on church, pray those prodigals home with me right now. We call them awake in the name of Jesus. Wake them up to the life of the Spirit of God. I sense that there are business owners in the room who are just deathly afraid of this moment. And in Jesus' name, we rebuke fear. Come on, cast out fear. Jesus said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we bind terror and anxiety and fear in Jesus' name. And we loose provision and we loose joy and we loose peace and we loose hope. And Lord, I pray that faith would rise, gritty faith would rise in this congregation. Come on, church. I feel we're on the precipice of tipping over into goodness. Lord, we loose hope in this congregation. Lord, I pray that you'd make us strong. Be strong and do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lord, I pray right now for the peace of God. Would you receive his peace today, church? Would you take that first real deep breath you've had in weeks and just say, God, it's going to be okay. I trust you. Peace, 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 peace. Friends, do not grow weary in doing good, for in the end you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. I want to call our communion servers to come down to the front. What we're going to do, if you're new with us, is we move through the room, we come down front, we receive the communion elements, and then you can go back to your seat and hold them there. If you're not physically able to come, no shame, tap your neighbor and say, bring me an extra one, and they will be happy to do that. 
But as you do, I want you to worship the Lord in this moment. We're gonna sing, be strong, be not afraid, for the Lord is soon on his way. And I pray that faith would rise in this room, church. Let's come through and receive communion. And in just a minute, Pastor Tim's gonna come up and lead us in receiving from the Lord. Let's worship Jesus.